0: for being part of our online experience and we're glad you tuned in. If this is your first time, we want to say a special welcome to you and we'd invite you to click on the digital connection card up here in the corner or leave a comment here in the chat window of who you are and maybe an email address and how we might be able to pray for you and if there's a question we might be able to answer. And we hope it's not your last time. We're certainly glad that you found us. And if this is your spiritual home, we are grateful for you too to tune in. This is graduation Sunday. We're celebrating Maddie Sheldon as she graduated from high school at Mansfield Senior yesterday. We'll be spending some time with her after the message, just hearing a little bit of her story of uh, some good memories she has, but then also learning about what her future is. Uh, We're so excited. She's been such a core part of this church. Her family has too, but we're grateful for the faithfulness of all. And so we want to celebrate her. And so hope you'll stick around for that at the end. And we also wanted to just celebrate all the good things that happened last week for Mother's Day. It was a little more complicated here. A couple of our families got pulled away to soccer tournaments. We were grateful for those that showed up. And I just want to share a couple pictures here of just the fun that some people had. Uh, we gave uh, some chocolate bars and uh, some flowers to each of the women that showed up and just wanted to celebrate them for all that they bring to us not just life as our moms, but even the beauty of what God does through a woman. So we are grateful that we can have that kind of celebration. I want to also share I had an opportunity to head back to Heartfelt Radio this week, and we finished up our study of John chapter 11, looked at specifically at verses 17 through 44. As Last week we talked about death, and this week we talk about life and the life that Jesus brings. So if you'd like to check that out, there's a link here to the worship Last week, we kicked off our series looking at the book of Esther. It's a small book in the Old Testament. And we learned about what is probably one of the greatest heroes of the Bible. And we also talked about how in the book of Esther, it's an incredibly well-written story. And as we read it, we have three parts. There is the setup, which we talked about last week. And this week is the second part, which is called the confrontation. And then we'll get into the resolution next week. When we met Esther last week, she was a 14-year-old girl who had been taken against her will. And if she had said no to the king, she and her adoptive uncle, Mordecai, would have more than likely been put to death, along with countless other girls. And 2,400 years ago, it was during a time when the Jewish people were under the rule of the Persian Empire. As we talked last week, we met King Xerxes, who was a 40-year-old man who was the Persian king. And as we talked about it too, what he basically was doing, essentially, was human trafficking. He would take these young girls, he would sleep with them once, and then he would banish them to his second harem, where they would live out the rest of their lives, cut off from the rest of the world. And all of this was the goal of finding the next queen. Now, as you remember, last week we saw that Esther stood out. There was something about her. There was something about her character and her presence. It impressed everyone around her, even the king who made her his queen. Now, this is important because this paves the way for her to become the hero that has been celebrated every year for more than 2,000 years. In fact, this story... Uh, is the setting for what is called the Festival of Purim. And this story is read in the Jewish community every year as a remembrance of what Esther did for her people. Now, we could take a moment and think about villains, right? Because that's what we're going to talk about in this section. Uh, and So I'm wondering, who is your favorite villain? Uh, is it something from Star Wars or is it something from maybe an old Western? Uh, in fact, if you would, uh, put, it, put it in the chat window here. Just that person that really you just want to hiss when they come on the screen as you watch your favorite movie or the person that you growl at as they show up in the story that you're reading. And yet what's interesting here is we look at this story and the villain we're going to meet today, there was somebody who was even more despicable than King Xerxes, who we met last week. Uh, He was actually a much worse villain. And as I said, the the book of... uh, Esther is read out loud every year during Purim. And what's interesting is they read this story to those gathered. Anytime the villain's name is mentioned, the people will boo and the crowds will hiss. Now, who is this guy? Well, his name is Haman. And what we know about Haman is he was the most powerful elected official in the empire other than the king. Everyone would bow to him whenever he passed by except for one person. You know who that was? Guess. Guess. Mordecai. It was Esther's adoptive uncle. And so our story of Esther picks up five years after she has become queen. Let's begin here with verse uh, 5 of chapter 3. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. Now, we're not really sure why Mordecai refused to bow down. He might have thought it was idolatrous as a good uh, Israelite. Or maybe he knew that Haman was an evil man and that he didn't deserve that level of respect. But whatever the reason, he didn't bow. And Haman was what we would say triggered. It really ticked him off. He was so upset that he wanted to commit what we would call genocide against all of the Jews. This was a World War II level hatred like Hitler had for the Jews. Continuing with verse eight of chapter three, then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, there is a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed. And I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. So what do we have here? Well, it's basically a bribe. Haman's trying to bribe the king. This amount of money, to give it some context, is equal to two-thirds of Persia's annual national income. It's a chunk of change. One would think that he would be counting on the money he would capture from the executed Jews to be able to pay the king all this. Now, what's interesting is that King Xerxes, he didn't care. He was essentially like, do what you want. You have my permission, and you can do whatever you want with the money. So Haman chose a date about a year out for what would be this genocide, and he wrote a decree And he sent it out. Continuing with verse 13, Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th on the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. So, I guess it's an answer to the question, how do you get normal people to participate in such a terrible thing? Well, you tell them they get to keep everything that belongs to the people they kill. What a deal, right? Pretty disturbing stuff, quite honestly. Meanwhile, the king and Haman just went off and got drunk, and it just is amazing that these two men were that heartless. Then we get to chapter 4, and chapter 4 opens with Mordecai learning this news and loudly mourning his people's impending doom. In fact, he did as most Israelites would do when faced with this kind of terrible news. He tore his clothes and he put on ashes and he he wailed at the gates of the palace. Now, it's interesting that Esther heard that he was upset and she became deeply worried. But the problem was their communication had had to go through a messenger because she was uh, cut off from the rest of the world. In fact, she hadn't even heard about the decree. So Mordecai sends her a copy and told her to go to the king and beg for mercy for her people. Again here, chapter 4, verse 10 begins, Then Esther told Hathach to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called me to come to him for 30 days. Esther was shocked by the news. But her reply to Mordecai was essentially, I don't think I'm the answer you think I am. She says, remember Queen Vashti? This king didn't care much about his queens. And even though she lived right there, Xerxes hadn't uh, bothered wanting to see her for over a month. And somehow if she just showed up and he was in the wrong mood, she more than likely would be put to death. So continuing here, verse 13, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Basically, Mordecai gives her a bit of a wake-up call. So it, it is true that the king might have her executed, but she was going to die just like the rest of the Jews when the decree took effect. What's fascinating is that Mordecai seemed to be confident God was going to deliver them. It's almost as though his point seemed to be, God's going to do something regardless. Wouldn't you rather be part of it than watching from the sidelines? And more particularly, it's that final sentence. Perhaps the most famous line in all of the book of Esther because it's an incredibly powerful one. It's interesting that the ancient Hebrew language here is not one that's sarcastic or fearful, but it's actually in a tense that's hopeful. It doesn't know the outcome, but it communicates that there is a confidence that God is up to something, that he's orchestrating something. I don't know about you, but I know there have been times in my life when I've cried out to God for an answer, I've prayed for an answer, And missed that maybe, who knows, perhaps God had put us in this circumstance where we are and what we're doing so that through his power, we can be part of an answer to prayer. Continuing here then with verse 15, it says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Now, like other people in Scripture, like Moses or Jeremiah, Esther didn't have any kind of clear sign from God that she's going to be protected. And yet, she still was willing to step up. She was suddenly the one giving the orders, and we're going to see her calling the shots here as we go forward here in just a little bit. It's incredible to think about this, about this person of Esther, Because she wasn't much older than the young woman that we are going to celebrate here, Maddie Sheldon, for graduation, having leaned into this next chapter of her life. And it's interesting, too, that here she is living in an ancient culture where women were at extreme risk in so many different ways. She knew there was a very good chance that this would end her life. She told Mordecai to get everyone fasting and praying for three days straight. And now chapter 5, verse 1 begins, On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and under the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne, facing the entrance. Esther knew she would be seen before she would be allowed to speak, and she needed to prepare in such a way that she would have the king's attention. Really a smart young woman here. And so it's interesting the scriptures say when she put on her royal robes, the Hebrew language here literally says she wore a kingdom. And what that basically means is she wore the most magnificently queenly kind of thing she could wear, that there might have even been some symbolism to it, so that she was sure to grab King Xerxes' attention, and then, because of that, maybe, just maybe, be able to keep him from having her executed for breaking the law by her approaching the king without having been summoned by him. Now, verse 2, when he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court... He welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. So, what happens? I mean, the fact that the king extended his scepter to her was a very good sign. It meant that not only was he allowing her to speak, he was probably going to say yes to whatever her request might be. Continuing in verse 3 Then the king asked her, What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. That's quite a promise, right? Well, the perfect time is to ask the king right here and right now to rescind the decree calling for genocide, right? I mean, that's what you would do. Makes sense, right? Nope, that's not what happens. It's interesting. Esther was a wise young woman and she had learned in her time with the king that he was an emotional guy, more emotional than rational. And so she knew she needed to tread very carefully to save her people. So calling out that decree right now in front of all the others present might have put the king on the defensive. He had already gone a month without seeing her. Would he care enough to essentially go back on his own word publicly? No, Esther needed to find a way to make an emotional connection with him. Continuing with verse 4, and Esther replied, if it pleased the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet that I have prepared for the king. That was an incredibly brilliant move on this young lady's part. You remember how back in chapter 1, how the king held a party in his own honor? A banquet in his honor that is prepared by someone else. Well, that goes straight to the guy's vanity. Better yet, it was already ready. How can he say no? And so he grabs his friend Haman. And we know Haman has some character flaws too, right? Because he is thrilled that he's been singled out in front of all the other people for such an honor to join King Xerxes. And so the two of them head off to Esther's banquet where the king again asked her to tell him what she wanted. Verse 7, Esther replied, this is my request and deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet I'll prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. She delayed again. Did she lose her nerve? No. In fact, She was shrewd in controlling the situation. She was building both men's egos up. She was allowing the king to promise over and over that he would give her anything she wanted, which was slowly bringing about her plan to a point where the king could not possibly refuse her request. As we began, this is an amazing story, and there's three parts to the story. We've had the setup, and now this is the confrontation. And here's where it turns in a whole different way, because what... Uh, Esther didn't know was that as Haman left that night, he bumps into Mordecai, and his rage was even more undone. So he gets home, and when he gets there, his wife and his friends, they encourage him to build a spike to impale Mordecai on. They want it to be high enough for the whole city to see. And even though Haman is drunk, he thought that that sounded like an amazing idea, And so he sends his people out to construct it so he could follow through the next day. Now, here's where the cliffhanger is. Would Haman execute Mordecai before Esther could complete her plan? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week. But there's two big takeaways for this week that I want us to see and to ponder. The first is that we turn to prayer. It's interesting that Esther models for us that before she acted, she prayed for three days. And that's what the fast was. And not just her, but she reached out to every person that she knew to do so with her. So she called for a fast. Now also, Esther didn't depend on her own ability or strategy. She turned to God in prayer. It is so easy when we're scared or in trouble to just panic and react. And so what she models for us is that we need to slow down and breathe. And we need to turn to God in prayer. Paul reminds us in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 17, never stop praying. Why do you suppose he says never stop praying? Do you think he means that we're always supposed to be just walking around and talking to God? I'm not sure he literally means every moment, but I do think what he means is that our natural response to every situation in life, good or bad, should be to turn to God and to do that in prayer. So we turn to God in prayer, and then we take action. That's the second point here. In fact, what we have happening here is Esther takes action. She knew what the right thing to do was, and she did it. It would have been so tempting for her to come up with excuses. I'm too young. I'm not important enough. No one will listen. I'll get hurt. She could have ignored the threat. Maybe she would have been able to keep her ethnicity secret and escape the genocide, but yet, What did she do? She recognized that God had a plan, and that was why she had ended up where she was. Now, we have to say that what has happened to her up to this point is rather horrible. But what's amazing is how God can take a tragedy and turn it into something beautiful. And that's where Mordecai's words become so powerful in this moment. Back to chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? So let's think about that in our own life. Who knows if God has placed you where you're at for just such a time as this? Who knows if God has placed you where you're at for such a time as this? Who knows if God has placed you as a student in your class or as an employee in your job or in a friendship with somebody or at a particular place with a particular people because you may be the answer to the prayer. You are the answer to the prayer you are the one God wants to use to make a difference for the kingdom. It's simply this. When we know the right thing to do, we need to do it. Let me say that again. When we know the right thing to do, you need to do it. And in the season in which we live, it's so easy to be able to pray in the moment, but at the same time to take your phone and shoot a text or to send an email to a friend to join you in that prayer and then to do what God has placed you there to do. And so let's pray. God, we're grateful for this amazing story of Esther and how in a horrible circumstance, you take her circumstance and you leverage it for your purposes. And so we pray that we could see the same kinds of opportunities for us where we find ourselves, that we can grow where you've planted us. Help us to lean into what the Holy Spirit would direct us to do so that we can make a difference in this time. And we pray it through the strong name of Jesus. Amen. As we began our time, we said this is Graduation Sunday where we are going to celebrate a particular young woman, Maddie Sheldon, who has been a part of Linden Road her, her 18 years. In doing that, I have Maddie answer some questions to help us get a sense of just who she is and, and where she's going. And so check this out.
1: I'm Madeline Sheldon, and I'm in the graduating class of 2023. And I'm Melinda Rucki, And
2: Maddie, thank you so much for coming. We're gonna find out a little more about Madeline Sheldon, who is graduating tomorrow from Mansfield Senior High. Congratulations. We're so very proud of you. So let's start with what are your biggest hopes and dreams for the future?
1: Um, to get through college and um, I want to be a neo- neonatal nurse, so start my career in that. Okay. So could I ask why neonatal nursing? At first, when I was thinking of careers, I knew I wanted to be in nursing. Um, I just didn't know what, and then I like helping people, but I also like helping children, and mm-hmm. they're just, they're cute, yeah. so why not help them?
2: That's, that's great. So who has influenced you most in your life?
1: Um, definitely my parents. My Mom has been the one to push me to get through um, schooling and, like, with jobs and um, but she's never been too strict so if I wasn't sure she would be okay with my decision. Mm-hmm. And my dad, he's um, the one that put the nursing career in my path.
2: I find that interesting, your dad. That's great.
1: Yeah. Favorite ice cream?
2: Cookie dough. Alright. If you could have any car. What kind of car would you like to have?
1: Oh, I... <laughs> <laughs> or um, truck. There's a couple, but I definitely want um, a Mustang. A GT Mustang would be exactly.
2: Okay. Your <laughs> girl knows her cars. Yeah. What are you most proud of accomplishing in high school?
1: In high school, would definitely be my STNA license. Very good. Yeah, it was a long process, so I wasn't sure if I would make it, but I did. Yes, you can. Very good. Tagging
2: on to that, is there anything that you wish you could change about your high school experience?
1: Maybe not put work every year off till the last minute. I do, I work well under pressure, pressure but I also don't work well under pressure. So I think it, things would have gone a lot smoother in all my classes if I did that.
2: So is that a life lesson that you're going to take into college with you?
1: Yeah, to not push things off to the last minute.
2: Okay. That's wise advice.
1: Favorite fast food? Wendy's. Love Wendy's.
2: (laughs) Favorite candy?
1: That's a hard one. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Probably Almond Joys.
2: Ooh. Yeah. Do you have a favorite passage of scripture that has helped you live your life?
1: Uh, I do. All right. Um, It's Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear. I am with you. Do not be anxious. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Yes.
2: Amen. Oof. (laughs) That's good. So, is there any advice that you would give to your younger self?
1: Don't let friends and significant others stop your way of getting to where you want to be in life. Wow! So, not you gotta have like an equal balance, and that's hard. Yeah, especially being a kid.
2: Yeah, it's something that it takes a while to learn that, and then to live into it a little bit because we always don't want to hurt other people so yeah Yeah. very good I like that is there one thing that you're looking forward to most about the next step in your journey
1: I'm not sure why but I really want to start working in a hospital so I think probably getting my next step into Mm -hmm. a different place to work and have more open opportunities Mm -hmm. and stuff like that yeah Mm -hmm.
2: kind of see what nursing is all about yeah that's great
1: good last
2: question maybe Um, what are your thoughts about your church home
1: my church home um a lot of people have either i've grown up with them or they've grown up with me and um, they've just been very welcoming I know I don't go to church a lot, but it doesn't. when I do come, it doesn't seem to be, like, all eyes on me that I'm here and everything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm just welcomed every time.
2: So it is kind of a church home. Yeah. Yeah. Where you can always go back to. Mm-hmm. And it's good. Yeah. Very good. So anything else you would like to say to everyone who's watching?
1: Just don't be afraid to put yourself first at times, even if it seems selfish. Because it's always good for you, and it can always be good for other people.
2: That's great, Maddie. Thank you so much for for answering crazy questions <laughs> um, and putting up with Pastor Tom. So we really appreciate that you've done this, and we look forward to watching you in your journey. And remember. You can always come back to your church home, and if you need anything, all you have to do is ask, okay? Okay. All right. Thank Thank you. you.
1: I'm Madeline Sheldon, and I'm in the graduating class of 2023.
0: What an incredible young woman Maddie is, and so I hope you'll uh, pray for her as she uh, steps into her next chapter. But I'm reminded, and I've done this in the last couple years, we've leaned into this understanding about passing the baton about taking that which we have and as adults and giving it to the next generation. It's interesting, the apostle Paul, he is writing to his young protege, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, he says this, Timothy, my dear son, be strong to the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Well, you can see here the relay race talk, right? And so Paul says, you have heard me teach things. So the first leg of a race is Paul is running and he begins to pass the baton by his teaching to the second leg, which is to Timothy, who is now running alongside him. And he says, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people. And then the third leg of the race is that Timothy is called to pass the baton on to trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. And then the fourth leg of the race is those trustworthy people then pass the baton on to others. So what we'll say to Maddie later this morning is that it's an exchange time, that we want to take a moment to celebrate her and literally we're gonna pass this baton to her. And it's a way of a, a metaphor for her to know that we are praying for her, that we love her. And this idea of what Paul says here in 2 Timothy. So my hope is that you'll pray for Maddie too, as we commission her into her next chapter, and that she'll understand in a deep sort of way as we will lay hands on her and we will pray for her to know that God is doing good things. Scripture is pretty clear, again and again to moments when there was a laying on of uh, hands And so one such moment is earlier in 2 Timothy when Paul says this, he says, This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. So I pray that you'll join in praying those words over Maddie as you think about her, as we will hear in the building.